Good morning and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Rebeck, your host for WMNF's midweek, mid-morning dose of news and public affairs with a local perspective. You are, of course, listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's non-commercial independent radio, brought to you by you, because we are supported by our generous listeners and our volunteer radio activists like Jessica Green, who is running our soundboard, and Barbara Fling. First off, I must apologize to those of you who follow me and Midpoint on Facebook and Twitter. Since I had originally planned this show to include a Drag Queen Story Hour in honor of Pride Month, but alas, our drag diva canceled. And so I have moved on to bring you another timely and compelling topic. And let me just say, it was tough to choose an alternative topic because damn, if this wasn't a big week in the news. Yesterday, we had the explosive testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson, an aide to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who blew the roof off the January 6th committee hearing room with her astounding revelations of Trump's activities and statements and those of the people around him on January 6th. It seems abundantly clear that the committee has enough evidence in hand to establish probable cause to believe that Trump and Meadows, at least, were part of a seditious conspiracy to obstruct Congress and the peaceful transition of power and foment a coup that would keep Trump in power. Wow. Just saying it out loud is chilling. Now... For the love of dog, Merrick Garland, please indict somebody for this frightening subversion of our democracy and rule of law. Then we had the release of the end-of-term Supreme Court decisions, one of which, Dobbs, we'll be talking about today. But I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention the decision that allowed coercive, performative Christian prayer in public school athletic events under the First Amendment. I emphasize the Christian character of the prayer because I find it hard to believe the result would be the same if the prayers were those of a minority religion, like Islam or Judaism. In fact, I can't wait for the Satanists to demand equal opportunity to pray at school games. That's a sporting event I would watch. Now, as of this morning, we still have one enormously important case to be decided by the Supreme Court this term. West Virginia versus the EPA, the Environmental Protection Organization. This case is about how much authority the EPA has to force power plants to cut down their pollution. But it is really a much bigger battle than that. It will determine how much power federal agencies have to enforce all kinds of regulations. This case is the single most important case to come down the pike to influence the nature of our federal government, perhaps since the founding of the Republic. It is the case that could make all the Republicans' dreams come true and finally totally dismantle what they call the administrative state by limiting or even banning enforcement of all federal regulations like those issued by the EPA that protect our environment, our clean air, our clean water. And it could also kill regulations that protect our public health, our workplace safety, and so many other spheres of federal influence. This one is the big mamma-jamma of legal decisions that could finally drown the federal government in the bathtub, as Grover Norquist, the anti-tax advocate, famously said back in 2001. We will be watching that case closely. But there was really no more important case to discuss today 
than Mississippi versus Dobbs. The big abortion case that actually overturned 50 years of legal precedent and reversed Roe versus Wade, the case that has protected a constitutional right to abortion. Women hold up half the sky, as Mao Zedong famously said, and this is an issue that affects women profoundly. The constitutional right to abortion is now gone, and with it went the right of women to control their own bodily integrity, their right to control their own destiny, to fulfill their hopes and dreams, and to access safe, professional medical procedures that may sometimes be required to save their lives. The question of the legality of abortion has now been returned to the states, and America will now have a patchwork of laws that govern when and how American women can or cannot have access to legal abortion services. That is what we will be discussing today with my guests, Kelly from the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund and Dr. Rachel, a physician and local abortion provider. Both of my guests will be identified by their first names only because the world of abortion services is a dangerous place filled with people who may wish them harm. But for now, we welcome Kelly and Rachel. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much Thank for you. having us. You both must still be completely overwhelmed by the news this week. Uh, Rachel, let me start with you. What was your reaction and that of your staff as an abortion provider uh, when the decision finally came out? I mean, we knew it was coming, but uh, did you hear from from your staff, uh, you know, any concerns greater than when the leak happened? Did you hear from any patients? What was their reaction? How, how did it feel to be in, a, in an abortion service provider when the decision came out? Well, I can tell you, I was in the operating room when the decision came down, so I didn't actually have access to my phone for several hours, but my phone kept buzzing and I was worried something was wrong with one of my children while I was operating, so I had the nurse look at it and she told me that Roe fell and we just had an eerie silence go across the operating room. Our nurse in the operating room is young and has no children and her immediate question for me is, can you tie my tubes? Can you tie them now? I don't want children and I'm so scared. I'll never be able to prevent having children. I, I just, after this case, can you just tie my tubes? Wow. So, and we're hearing a lot of that. We're here. I've had a lot of patient phone calls and messages asking for permanent sterilization. People who know without a, a doubt that they never want to be pregnant. And they're so worried that they've completely lost the right to control their own bodies uh, and their decisions to not be pregnant. I can't say I was completely surprised. I've been talking about the possibility of this happening for, for years and was told I was an alarmist. People looked at me and said, oh, Rachel, you're crazy. This is never going to happen. My own family said, oh, Roe is never going to be overturned. And I said, no, you're crazy. This is exactly what people elected our last president to do. And this is the, the one thing he successfully did was destroy democracy and our rights to our own bodies. Yeah, take over the Supreme Court. And, uh, and you know, that's why we're in this position now. The stolen seat from Merrick Garland and the rush of Amy Coney Barrett being confirmed eight days before an election. I mean, all of these things are uh, contributed to the, you know, the state that we're in now. Um, so 
let me ask you this. What, what is the landscape for abortion services in Florida today? Mm-hmm. Uh, after Dobbs and beginning on July 1st, when the Florida 15-week ban goes into effect, what's Florida going to look like for abortion services? Well, I can tell you it looks really different today than it's going to on Friday, just two days from now, because of that 15-week ban that you spoke about. So right now in the state of Florida, we are permitted to perform abortions up to 24 weeks. Now, the majority of abortions are performed early in pregnancy, most of them nine weeks or earlier, but we still see patients coming in after 15 weeks for a whole variety of reasons. Um, And that's not going to change just because Florida has decided to, to ban the ability to obtain an abortion after 15 weeks. People are still going to need abortions. So we're going to see, um, a lot of fear and confusion as people try to determine where they need to go to obtain medical services. Um, Not only are we going to see this confusion for people needing services after 15 weeks, but I think we're going to see a large influx of patients coming in for early abortion services. So we're kind of this... um, in a sea of anti-abortion states that are even more anti-abortion than Florida. I know it doesn't feel like that's possible, but it is. So I think we're going to see an influx of patients coming in from other states uh, needing early abortion services. As it is, we've already seen patients coming in from Texas and Louisiana, and I've had patients from Georgia and South Carolina. We're going to see a lot more of those in the upcoming weeks and months. This is an encore presentation of WMNF's Midpoint. We're not taking phone calls today. If you've just joined us, we are talking about abortion after Dobbs with my guest Kelly from the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund and physician Dr. Rachel, who is an abortion provider herself. You can join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting us at 813-443-0885. Uh, let me turn to you, Kelly. How has the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund been handling this news? Have you had an influx of like rage donations from people upset about the, the Dobbs ruling? Um, have you had more volunteers trying to sign up? Have you had more people contacting you seeking abortion access? Are you, are you swamped? Um, those are all good questions. We, we've been preparing for this for many years, actually. As, as Dr. Rachel said, this is not unexpected and it's not a surprise for us and for those of us in the abortion fund field. Um, we've been working to increase our capacity for our neighboring states that will be coming to Florida for help. And since the passage of House Bill 5, we've been working to increase our capacity out of state to send our folks to clinics that we've partnered with out of state. So operationally, we are fine we've been preparing for a long time. Um, Since the leak, we've seen a dramatic increase in donations and in requests to volunteer. And in May and June, we were able to offer extensive training sessions. So we've increased our intake volunteers from two to about eight now, which is very helpful. Uh, We've increased our driving volunteers from a handful of about eight to now over 20. So uh, those two months really gave us time to build more capacity and really be ready for the decision. Now, you know, uh, all, and this is kind of directed to both of you, but all over social media, I see people, women mostly, uh, volunteering to host women who want to go camping <laughs> or apple picking or do other activities in states where abortion is still legal and accessible. You know, on the one hand, I find these offers, you know, heartwarming. Um, It's nice to know that there's a community of people willing to be supportive of, of people who need abortion access. But on the other hand, I feel like 
working through the network of established abortion assistance organizations like, for example, the network of abortion funds here locally, the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund. Uh, organizations who've been working on these things and have developed networks for abortion access everywhere is really more responsible. I mean, if you're a woman in distress and you're freaked out and you're trying to, you know, get an abortion and figure out what to do, where to go, um, is it going to hurt? Am I going to be in pain? What's the recovery like? All these kinds of questions. I mean, do you really want to travel far away to the home of a total stranger who you just found on Facebook, maybe, uh, someone who's untrained and not vetted, and then undergo a medical procedure and put yourself in their hands as you recover so far from home. I mean, Kelly, with your organization, I think clients probably get more than that, don't they? I mean, your volunteers, as you said, are trained they're, and they're vetted and they're experienced. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, what do you think about all these social media posts about, I'll be happy to take you camping. What about that? Well, we've been putting out on our social media posts that there's no need to talk about camping, that we're very pro-abortion and abortion is still legal in many states and it's still widely accessible. So just quit saying camping and say abortion. Right. Uh, we can provide abortions, abortion access to anyone who wants one and we are all well-trained. We have a whole network of resources across the U.S. There are over 90 abortion funds and a number of practical support organizations that have been doing this for a very, very, very long time. Uh, the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund has been providing access since 2017. So we've got quite a, a history of working with clients. And one of the reasons that's so important is because every client is unique. Every patient is unique. And you never know what they might need or expect. If they're a minor, for example, we have experience with judicial bypass. If they have special health needs, we have a, a network of doulas that we can refer them to. If they have mental health issues, we have a network of resources. If they have any sorts of questions, we have a huge referral network. If we can't do it ourselves, a lot of the clients hand-holding, we do do ourselves though through our very well-trained and very well-vetted volunteers. That's all good to know. I was I was really thinking about that whole camping thing. It didn't <laughs> sit right with me. Um, I don't know, Dr. Rachel, if you have anything to add on that, but... No, I completely agree um, on both counts. Say the word abortion. Abortion is not a dirty word right. for reproductive age women have had an abortion. Abortion, right. abortion, abortion. Abortion, abortion, abortion. But also trust the networks that exist. Don't reinvent the wheel. You never know who you're going to get. These these networks exist for a reason. We have patient navigation systems set up. Um, trust that system. Yeah. Uh, so, Dr. Rachel, uh, so many of the states that surround Florida have now passed total bans on abortion. So, do you think Florida, uh, and Kelly, I guess you can answer this too, but will Florida still be a receiving state for abortion patients even with the 15-week ban here? I think certainly it will for now. I can't guarantee that that's not going to change in the future. We have a lot of very conservative legislators here in Florida that would love nothing more than to have a total abortion ban. Yeah, Anthony Sabatini has already called for a total abortion ban. And uh, I think, didn't DeSantis come out recently saying that he's going to address it in the next legislature? No special session for it. Yeah, because like he's not stupid and he knows how it's unpopular banning abortion 
is, and we have an election coming up where he's up for re-election in November, so he's not going to to seek to totally ban abortion before the election. But after the election, uh, in the next legislative session in January, then we have a lot to worry about, I think. Don't you agree? I completely agree, and that's exactly what I've been telling people, is that I don't think it's going to happen before November, because exactly like you said, it's not a very popular opinion to completely ban abortions here in Florida, and DeSantis wants to get reelected. But I think after November, we should be really worried. And so before November, we should be getting out to the ballots and encouraging everyone to register to vote and get out and vote. Exactly. Exactly. If you care about, you know, women's having control over their own destiny, then there's never been a more important election in Florida uh, than now. And not just for governor. Of course, governor is critical because governor has the power to veto legislation, but not just governor, but we have to begin to, uh, you know, try to elect legislators that care as much about these issues as we do around this table. Um, that means, you know, working hard for state house races and state senate races and, you know, giving time and treasure to those people that you think will agree with your position on abortion. So, um Shelley, even at the municipal level, that's very important. Um, the city of St. Pete has enacted a, a very friendly repro resolution that says that they will honor reproductive rights in their city. And Tampa Bay Abortion Fund has been working with the city council and with the old mayor to see if we can get some funding from them. So even at a very, very micro-local level, it's important to have pro-choice candidates. Excellent. Excellent point. Yes. I'm a big advocate of down-ballot voting, and I think everybody really needs to educate themselves about all the down the judges I mean we've had the experience here with Mm -hmm. Judge Jared Smith who denied an abortion to a minor in a judicial bypass proceeding uh, later reversed thankfully but uh, denied it because of his feelings about abortion he's a deacon at uh, Idlewild Baptist Church according to his campaign literature and uh, you know we can assume that um, his personal feelings were, you know, uh, informative on his decision. And as a result, um, you know, that could have been a real critical problem for that that young woman. But fortunately, that decision was reversed. So the judicial races, which are nonpartisan, they, judges do not run as a Democrat or a Republican. So you really have to educate yourself as much as possible about those people because they're not really allowed to speak about their personal views on issues. I would say even the school board races are incredibly important. We have people currently on our school board in Hillsborough County that that don't believe in comprehensive sex education, even though it is an evidence-based way to prevent unplanned pregnancies. So certainly these important races to to look into as well. Very, very good point. Yeah, very good point. Because let's face it, if you don't want to get pregnant, you need to know how to avoid that. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, young people who are you know, first beginning their sexual lives, um, you know, it would be great if they could get comprehensive sex education like they do in other countries, in Scandinavia and places where people have healthy sexual, uh, you know, information, um, We, if we could have that too. Um, so those are all really good points. So... Um, Let me ask you both this. Does Florida have the capacity to handle, you know, more patients as we as we will be at least initially a receiving state? Uh, Do we have enough clinics, enough doctors, enough, uh, 
aids like the the Florida, uh, the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund offers enough help? Do we have that? I will say one thing that we are facing within the last month or so is um, a backlog in clinic appointments just because of this new 24-hour mandatory delay. So now patients need to come in for an in in-person appointment to have their ultrasound and signed consent at least 24 hours prior to proceeding with their abortion. And is that true for medical abortion too? That is true for medical abortion. Where in other states, you never even need to go to the doctor's office for a medical abortion because again, that's not evidence-based. You shouldn't have to see a doctor. Um, you should talk to a doctor and go through your medical history, make sure you're an appropriate candidate, but there's no medical reason why you need to show up in person in a clinic, especially during a global pandemic. Right. Um, but I will say, so there is a little bit of a backlog of patients, but we are working really hard to get in every patient who needs an abortion. We will work hard to, to get those appointments. And then I will say there's pati- there's doctors in other states who can no longer provide legal abortions in their states. So they're looking to go to other states, not just Florida, but other states that still can legally provide abortion services to make sure that, that they can continue to work within their area of expertise and provide patients the services they need. And just to add to that, the, the, we work with a number of clinics in Tampa Bay and Sarasota and Lakeland, and we're not seeing any backlog um, just at the one clinic that you referenced. The other clinics have capacity and can pretty much see people on an immediate basis. So right now they're ready and prepared and open and ready for whatever comes from any other state. I'll say as as one of the doctors who works in a clinic, I never say no. And the managers there know that. Oh, Dr. Rachel's here today. Send everybody into the clinic. Because I'm not going to say no. If I say no, who's this patient going to go to? Where is my patient going to get her abortion? Yeah. This is an encore presentation of WMNF's Midpoint. We're not taking phone calls today. Well, you know, that brings me to my next question, uh, Rachel. The Florida law has no exception for rape or incest, but it does have an exception for abortions that may be necessary beyond 15 weeks because of fatal fetal anomalies. Now, how comfortable do you think doctors will be in making those kinds of exception decisions, especially if it's otherwise becomes a crime to perform an unauthorized abortion. I can tell you there's a lot of really uncomfortable doctors with the language in this law because a fatal fetal abnormality is not a medical definition. It's some made up definition that the legislators came up with. So what is fatal? Is it fatal if the the pregnancy doesn't survive until delivery or if it only survives an hour after delivery? What about a week after delivery? Right. What about we have medical conditions that we know are, are what we call lethal but a child may survive with this condition for one or two years and may have a really uh, difficult life with numerous medical interventions. And I think it's a really compassionate decision that a lot of people make to end that pregnancy and not put their child through a, a lot of this trauma. But according to the new law, we don't know, we don't think that counts. So standard counseling that we provide for our patients when they're diagnosed with very grave, serious fetal abnormalities we, we don't know what we can do. And what I may consider a fatal fetal abnormality, is there an anti-choice doctor down the road who's going to say, I disagree with you, and then report me, and now I go to jail because it's a felony? Yeah, that's, a, that's an issue that I would imagine is weighing on doctors who, who provide services in this space. 
Um, the other situation that you talked about that's an exception is threat to maternal life. So we have a lot of things. We know that pregnancy is dangerous. You're over 10 times more likely to die in a term pregnancy than you are in an abortion. Mm. So there's no question pregnancy, continuing your pregnancy is always more dangerous than having an abortion. But we have certain situations that make pregnancy even more dangerous. Patients who develop blood clots in their lungs are more likely to die in pregnancy. But that said, we have patients who really want to be pregnant who continue their pregnancy despite these risks. But then there's plenty of patients who don't want to be pregnant and that is a risk to their life. And and, and do I feel safe saying this is a risk to your life and, and I will end your pregnancy knowing again that anti-choice doctor down the road might say, no, people do this all the time and I'm going to report you and you should go to jail. And then we have a situation like we saw in Ireland that literally changed their abortion laws where a patient had her water break early in the second trimester and nobody would complete her abortion because it was illegal there. And they waited until she got sicker and sicker and ultimately died as a result. Standard of care is to offer an abortion in that situation because of the risks to maternal life. But now if we're saying, oh, well, she her, she didn't look that sick and her vital signs were normal and she didn't have a fever, do we wait until all of those things happen? Because there's no like line that you cross. You say, okay, now you're sick. It's a long continuum and patients are going to die. We worry about patients in these situations dying. We worry about patients with ectopic pregnancies dying. We're already seeing stories about this in other states where there's an ectopic pregnancy, so a pregnancy outside of the uterus that cannot survive. The only thing it can do is kill, kill its host, the pregnant person. So we're seeing situations where there's a heartbeat in an atopic pregnancy. And so doctors are not intervening because they're scared of getting thrown into jail. So they're not intervening until the patient becomes really sick. And that's horrible medical care. So we, we see a lot of doctors saying, throw me in jail. I'm not letting a patient die in front of me. But we also have a lot of doctors who are very scared to intervene in these situations, and rightfully so. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing in the network. There are doctors that will intervene, and then there are known doctors that will not. And so there's a referral list that we're starting to circulate about friendly hospitals to send folks to and unfriendly hospitals to avoid. So if someone is having an ectopic pregnancy, you make sure that they go to a hospital, even if it's further away, where they will will be pretty much guaranteed care, even if it's in a, a dicey state. Another reason not to go camping exactly. and, to, <laughs> and to go through the network through of, the network. of ab system, abortion yes. assistance organizations that already exist. If you just joined us, you can probably tell that we're talking about abortion after Dobbs with my guest, Kelly from the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund and physician, Dr. Rachel, an abortion provider. You can join our conversation by calling 813-239-9663 emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting us at 813-443-0885. Um, and I know, Dr. Rachel, you have to leave us, but before you go, um, can you tell us about the availability of medical abortion drugs now and uh, how and when they can be obtained and used? Because I think that that's something that uh, people need to to know more about and uh, you know we're going to take every opportunity we can to educate them about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, I want to make sure that people know there's a difference between emergency contraception and medication abortion. I've seen a lot of confusion lately about people saying, well, I'm going to go online and buy up all of the plan B I can find. And that's great if you have a contraceptive mishap where a condom broke or you forgot to use it or you forgot your birth control pills and you had unprotected sex and you want to prevent pregnancy. 
emergency. However, once you're already pregnant, that emergency contraception is, is not going to do a whole lot for you. I will say also, if you're in need of emergency contraception, please talk to your doctor because there are more other options that are actually more effective than Plan B. Plan B is great, not oh, the really? only. Not, to, yeah. What, what is, what's that all about? So the most effective option for emergency contraception is actually a copper IUD or intrauterine device, so the Paragard. That takes planning, though. Uh, it does, but we do have some availability depending on who your doctor is and what they've got in stock. They may have the IUD in stock. Um, we now know that also the hormonal IUD, so the Mirena or Liletta, can also be used as emergency contraception. So not only can you come in and get the most effective method of emergency contraception, but you now have many years of pregnancy prevention by using an ongoing method of birth control. So you mean rather than just go get plan B, go to your doctor, get an implant or get an IUD and you're good for, for, for the duration. Absolutely. Get an IUD. <laughs> We're getting lots of calls now for IUDs. So. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So certainly those are the most me- effective methods of emergency contraception. The other option for EC or emergency contraception is um, another pill called Ella or Olaprystal Acetate. That one is only available by prescription. So when I talk to my patients about really anything in my gynecology office, but certainly about birth control, I always talk to them about advanced prescription of Ella. So I say, you know, this is sometimes can be hard to find in the pharmacy. So I'd love to give you a prescription for it now. Get it filled, keep it in your purse, keep it in your nightstand because you never know when you're going to need it. Typically you need it at three in the morning after you had unprotected sex and your doctor's office is not open. Um, all of these work the best the soonest they're taken after emergent, after unprotected Do they have a shelf life? Um, we believe the shelf life for all of these pills is around four years. Okay. So and, and, and isn't there a, like a weight issue with regard to Plan B? There absolutely is. That's a great question. So we have studies that show that Plan B is less effective for overweight patients and is not at all effective for obese patients, um, which again is another reason why I prescribe Ella in advance to all of my patients. Because that is effective for absolutely. overweight or mm-hmm. obese patients. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. And and so people can get this prescription in advance and then just hold on to it until they need it. Absolutely. Keep it in your purse. Keep it in your nightstand. Have it, have it a couple different places. <laughs> we, we have a saying that everyone should have three plan B's in their medicine chest. So whenever we get in extra plan B's, which we've received donated um, boxes of them, we give them out in the community and advise everyone to take one or two or three. One or two or three, Mm -hmm. you mean a person to take more than one? For them to have in their medicine chest for emergencies. Oh, okay. But you don't mean uh, if you don't have access to Ella and you're overweight, you should take two doses. No, that's not what I mean at all. Just having extra, uh, just like having extra aspirin at home. Just so they have extra access to. I will say there's an ongoing study looking at that. I wondered about that. um, One of my institutions actually just participated in one of these studies. Um, So we don't have the answers out there yet, but it looked at providing a double dose of emergency of plan B or levonorgestrel um, to see if it's effective and over more effective in overweight and obese patients. Hmm. But we don't know the answer to we that. We don't. Yet. 
Um, but I'd like to get back to your other question uh-huh. about how do I access um, abortion pills? Yes. So right now in Florida, you can abortion, you can access abortion pills um, at your local abortion clinic. So medication abortions are still legal. They are effective up to 11 weeks in pregnancy. Um, I highly encourage you to, to ask your doctor about it if you're thinking about it. And uh, honestly, now in the United States, medication early medication abortions are the most common way that abortions are performed um, is with pills. So it consists of two different pills. One of those is called mifepristone um, and it's an anti-progestin, which works very similar to how Ella, the emergency contraceptive works, but it's a much higher dose. Um, And that is followed by a set of four pills called misoprostol. And those pills cause contractions and cramping and basically expulsion of the pregnancy. So in general, the actual medication abortion, the expulsion of the pregnancy happens in the comfort of your own home as opposed to in an abortion clinic. And a lot of patients are, are really interested in doing that. Now, um, let me ask you about miscarriages because um, I know you have to run. Um, but I, I want to uh, understand if a person is pregnant, you know, happily so, and then they experience what their doctor tells them is a miscarriage, um, often they're offered the option of a DNC. Is that considered to be an abortion under the current law or the new law? It is not. Uh, The absence of a fetal heartbeat would make it not what we would call an induced abortion. Although I will say the medical language surrounding miscarriage is still abortion. We call that a spontaneous abortion. Right. Like I said, abortion is not a dirty word. Say it all the time. Um, But we do have a lot of confusion. Again, in states that have these trigger bans that are completely outlawing all abortions. So we see patients with early pregnancies that may or may not still have a fetal heartbeat in patients who are bleeding really heavily um, and really need to have their uterus evacuated, so need an abortion. Um, But if there's still a fetal heartbeat, then then doctors are concerned that's going to be considered an abortion and they may go to jail for helping their patient survive. Right, for helping their patient survive because that's a medical uh, emergency, you know. Um, Wow. Okay, well... I know that you have to run, uh, Dr. Rachel, and we are at the point where we have to say goodbye to you because you have to go teach. And thank goodness that you do so that we can have other people who have the qualifications and expertise and hopefully the desire to uh, handle women's health issues and abortions in this community. So thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And I am very excited to go teach kind of the the next generation of, of OBGYNs who will hopefully have all the skills necessary to provide um, abortions and other necessary services to all of our pregnant patients. Well, we'll be keeping in touch and we hopefully will uh, bring you back in the future to talk more about this, especially uh, after the next legislative <laughs> session. I hope with it, well, I hope with good news, but in oh, case it's bad news. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Uh, we are talking about abortion after Dobbs, after the Supreme Court reversed Roe versus Wade this week. Um, and we are saying... Uh, Uh, Adios to Dr. Rachel, an abortion provider locally here. And we are going to stick with Kelly from the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund. And I'm going to bring on into the show now uh, Gretchen Cothran, who's a local lawyer who's now working with the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund um, on these issues. Welcome, Gretchen. You with us? 
I'm here, Shelly. Thank uh, you for having me. Okay. All right. I'll just ask you to speak up so we can all hear you. And if you, our listeners, want to join our conversation or have questions for my guests, you can call us at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813 813- Four four three zero eight eight five. 0885 So Gretchen, uh, let me ask you, what's the status of the various state bans around the country as of today? I know that some states had trigger laws that said if and when Roe was ever overturned, a complete ban would go effect, go into effect in the state immediately. And I know that that's happened, but I also think that some of these bans have already been enjoined and abortions have resumed in, in some states uh, today. Where are we at? with that yes there were trigger laws that went into effect um so far both louisiana and utah's laws were temporarily blocked by judges so abortions are still legal um to the extent that they were legal prior to the supreme court ruling on friday in louisiana and utah however alabama arkansas oklahoma missouri kentucky Wisconsin and South Dakota all have trigger laws that went into effect. So effectively abortion is outlawed right now in those states. So, um, and uh, Gretchen and, and Kelly, this may this may be up your alley too, but um, I know that there's a 15-week abortion ban uh, going into effect on July 1st. Um, and there, but yet there's pending litigation surrounding that here in Florida. I know that uh, a number, there are a number of lawsuits trying to derail the 15-week ban here in Florida. Gretchen, can you tell us about that? Yes, there have been several lawsuits to um, effectively to put an injunction to stop the 15-week ban. Currently, Florida permits abortions up to 24 weeks. Um, and... So, so far, I know Planned Parenthood, the Center for Reproductive Rights, the American Civil Liberties Union, and also, I believe it's a group of synagogues, not just one synagogue, out of South Florida that have all filed lawsuits to halt the law. Yeah, I know that the the, the main uh, plaintiff in the synagogue case is a, a very liberal congregation, um, in West Palm uh, called Lador Vador. And what I find really interesting is that there's been some legal commentary about that case in uh, some libertarian legal blogs and in Reason Magazine, suggesting that because that's a liberal Jewish congregation, not an Orthodox congregation, that, um, that that their claim is specious because in a liberal Jewish congregation, they don't follow all the laws of Judaism. They don't have to keep kosher. They don't have to pray three times a day. They don't have to do a number of other things that Orthodox Jewish people commit to do in their religion. And because of that, um, the the legal claim should not be uh, recognized because according to these libertarian legal scholars, you know, the the people in that congregation are picking and choosing from among their 
religious traditions, um, which I think is really, really interesting um, because basically they're saying that it's not a real religion um, the way they practice it. It's not like Christianity because every Christian believes in, or every Catholic, say, believes in the supremacy of the Pope and the infallibility of the Pope. And if the Pope says abortion's bad, well, then every Catholic has to agree that abortion's bad. Uh, abortion is bad. Well, we know that that that's not the case. But I I thought that the those legal that legal debate was really interesting and frankly kind of insulting um, to the plaintiffs in the in the synagogue case. Uh, anybody have anything to add on that? Yes, um, I I completely agree with you on that. Um, I'm I'm not a professor of theology, so I'm not even going to try and pretend that I know what all is in the Jewish faith. But my understanding from what I've read is that, um, and it's not only Judaism, but also um, I've been reading on that debate that it falls under Islam as well, um, that there is an ultimate um, need to protect the woman. So if it comes between the woman and the child, then under the faith, you would have the abortion save the woman. That's my understanding, but I, I don't know enough about those two faiths. I do find the I find the um, the debate very interesting. Yeah, I just from a legal perspective. Yeah, Kelly, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I just wanted to make a quick shout out to our local Tampa Bay clinics. There are three local small in- independent clinics that have also signed on to one of these cases. So that's quite amazing that they're joining. J- just these small local hometown clinics are joining with the big. Uh, heavy hitters of, of CRR and Planned Parenthood and the ACLU. No, that is good to know. Mm-hmm. Then we thank them for doing that. This is an encore presentation of WMNF's Midpoint. We're not taking phone calls today. I have a um, I have an email here that I guess I want to read. Um, this is from Jeff. Jeff says, democracy is lost. Pew Research indicates that the majority of Americans support abortion. The electoral college system is still there despite the fact that it is not democratic. Both parties are beholden to big money donors, not poor women. Now the Democratic Party will be asked for donations, but they will never help you. A new people-based political party must arise. It is the only way to restore democracy for the people. Okay, so that's what Jeff has to say. Um, You know, Jeff... I've heard a lot of people uh, commenting that um, that the Biden administration has not really done anything about this, um, and I think that um, I think that that it's people don't understand how little the president and the executive branch can really do about this. Um, but I know that the Biden administration has done uh, a number of things um, through the Department of Health and Human Services. And they've loosened some requirements related to the mifepristone drug in December and now allowing the medication to be dispensed by a uh, provider in a clinic or more, more clinics and hospitals um, and by a certified pharmacy rather than just by hospitals and clinics. So that's significant, right? They, they also had a wonderful press conference yesterday with HHS that went over the plan. Uh, there aren't a lot of specific details yet, but the heart of the administration is towards protecting pregnant people and making sure that they have access. They've set up a new site called reproductiverights.gov and you can go there and see all of the things that are in in flux. And um, the secretary, when when pressed on some of the details, said that they would be 
coming to stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I think we have to discuss before um, we get off this uh, government intervention on abortion issue is there's so much talk, especially on social media, and I know Elizabeth Warren and Alexandria uh, Ocasio have also come out and said that the government should set up abortion clinics on federal lands. Um, uh, like in national parks, for example. Um, and I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, Gretchen, you can weigh in here too. But um, I think that there there are real problems with that issue because, um, and I know Biden's press secretary, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, pointed out the other day on this issue that there are problems with it because um, let's say you did have a clinic in a, on federal land. The woman comes to the clinic, uh, has a procedure, and then leaves. There's nothing to stop the state in which that federal land is located from arresting the person, leaving the clinic once they are back on state land and off federal land there's nothing to there's nothing to protect them from the consequences of the state laws once they leave the federal land uh, they could be prosecuted um, to the full extent of state law and there's nothing that the federal government can do to pardon them or commute their sentences because it is strictly a state matter so for reasons of separation of, of powers between the state and the federal government, those pregnant people would still be vulnerable um, going to a clinic on federal lands. Uh, have you heard a lot of talk about that, Gretchen or Kelly? About this business of trying to uh, put clinics on federal lands? Um, I've heard a lot of talk about it, and it was asked at the press conference yesterday with HHS, and they basically said they were considering all options. Um, and one of the things that Tampa Bay Abortion Fund wants to reassure our clients is that there are many, many options, whether it's the federal government helping out in this way, whether it's leaving the state with an abortion fund's help to get to a friendly state, whether it's using self-managed abortion, there are a number of options for people out there. So just call your local abortion fund, find out what's available in your state and in your area, and you'll be able to get whatever care it is that you want. Yeah, so don't panic don't is the panic. message. Absolutely. Don't Do panic. not panic. No. Yeah, because there are plans and, and programs in place to help pregnant people who want to end their pregnancies. Don't exactly. panic. Yeah, and there are, I've also been seeing a number of other kind of creative, um, uh, you know, things that are, are in the works or maybe already exist through the network of abortion funds nationally, I don't know, but I saw one... Um, one article about a network of private pilots, yes. like the people who, uh, you know, move dogs from kill shelters in Mississippi to states where they can go to a no-kill shelter and be adopted. That similar kind of network of private pilots who are organizing themselves and volunteering to fly people around the country from uh, abortion ban states to states where they can receive services. Have you seen that? Absolutely. And we are on the list to hopefully have pilots from Tampa that will fly to Illinois and to other places. But as you said, don't panic. There's a lot of options for folks. Um, if someone is secure enough in their decision, there is always a way. Yeah. This is an encore presentation of WMNF's Midpoint. We're not taking phone calls today. I agree. And Shelly, I would say people who, who need help or if you know someone who needs help, 
reach out to your local abortion fund. And if you don't know if you have one, reach out to the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund and we can help refer you. I would tell people just because the the laws are changing so quickly, we don't want to put anyone at risk. So instead of trying to maneuver a person that you know who needs help on your own, reach out to abortion funds. And, um, you know, the abortion funds are organized. They have people who are trained to do this. So I would ask people to, to reach out as opposed to trying to do things on your own. Absolutely. And one of the things that we're hearing from Gretchen and our other lawyers is that the legal landscape is just constantly shifting and changing. And the appetite for risk really depends on the individual and the individual organization. So depending on you yourself, um, what you are willing to undertake might be far more than what someone in another organization is willing to undertake. So definitely go to the experts and find someone that... um, can help you or can refer you to someone who is able to help you. And and let me just add too that um, you know it may be easier for pregnant people seeking to end their pregnancy to reach out to people who are trained but are strangers to them than it would be to reach out to friends and relatives. I don't know. Emotionally, I just think that um, you know uh, someone who's trained but yet at a, at a personal distance from from the patient. Um, I sometimes think that it's it's easier to to work th- through whatever issues the patient may have you know, in that setting than to try to explain themselves to their friends, to their family, who may be loving and supportive, but may not have the emotional or or psychological distance from the patient to be able to really be helpful. What do you think, Kelly? Well, that's one of the things that we train our volunteers on is to basically be a blank slate, to just mirror whatever the client is presenting. We don't want to ask too many questions. We don't want to make any assumptions whatsoever. We don't want to in any way be judgmental. So wherever they want to go and wherever they are at the moment in time that we deal with them is where we will be. So no no judgment, no questions. Yeah, and then it's hard to avoid that um, with a family member or exactly. a friend yeah. or, or um, somebody like that who if the patient reaches out to them they may have the best of intentions, but yet feel, you know, judged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's another reason to reach out to the people who are already trained, already vetted, already counseled about how to how to deal with the with patients. And uh, locally here, that would be the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund, which you can find on the web on the on you can find their website, right? Which At is tbafund.com. Tbafund.com. We have a list of all of our local clinics and all of our new out-of-state partner clinics on our homepage. Okay. Um, And I know that there are people, because I personally have been approached by people asking for information about how they could become a volunteer for the fund. And um, I've simply just directed them to their website. Is there anything else that they should know? Um, I know that you... um, had a big training in June, and where are you at with that now? We had a number of huge trainings in May and June. Um, we have Chris Lawler is our president, and she's in charge of all of our uh, onboarding. And she did a number of trainings. We brought on 
at least three dozen people. And right now our trainings are on hold because of the situation and our capacity. So we expect to begin starting trainings again. And not just the trainings, but the vetting of the people that, that come through and the research and just a lot of the stuff that goes along with. We need to check out their vehicles, their driver's license, etc. So we're expecting to start onboarding again probably in August or September. So if you'd like to help out right now, we really don't have the capacity, as most funds across the nation do not. So your best way to help out would be to throw us a fundraiser or a party, spread the information on self-managed abortion, or donate at our website. Okay, well, I think that's very important information. And again, uh, it is an election year, so um, vote. vote. (laughs) Get out and vote. Educate yourself about these issues and the candidates that are running. and in your area and make sure to um, to understand who among them are pro-choice and who are anti-choice candidates. And, and the reason we are where we are now is because the antis had a litmus test for decades where they only chose folks that they knew would come into agreement with this anti-choice, anti-constitutional perspective. So we need to do the same thing and make sure that we have a litmus test for pro-abortion candidates. Um, I have a call from Jennifer from Spring Hill. I'm going to bring Jennifer on the line. Jennifer, you're on the air. Hi. Um, yeah, I think it's something to think about with the elections. Do you remember before this last election, we were hearing about, oh, you don't have to have nine Supreme Court justices. We can appoint 11 and, you know, we can... Or 13. Also, 13, yeah, one for every federal circuit. Them, yeah, or give them term limits. Like, so Clarence Thomas, I mean, say like 18 years, you're out. Um, there'd be a lot of them just go retroactively out. And had they tried to do that, you never heard about it after the election until now. And they're ringing, everyone's wringing their hands, like, how do we deal with this? But do we even have that many pro-choice? Or are they just, you know, talking and talk because the pro, the anti-choice worked, like you said. You know, it worked for years. Well, the way, the reason you haven't heard much about it since the election, Jennifer, is because the, the, the Senate cannot act to reform the Supreme Court without two more members who agree to get rid of the filibuster and to support uh, reforming the Supreme Court. Right now, we do not have uh, enough senators who are willing to do that. And that's why you haven't heard much about it. Well, actually, I saw that, the, well, one of the things I saw that Manchin did support abortion rights and also that the reason that, um, what's her name in Arizona, why she didn't, um, didn't want to have a filibuster was because of the abortion thing. So now it's it, tables have turned. I just don't see that there was that much push. Plus, there were times when they had both houses. And they could in the presidency and they could have codified it as law. So I'm just saying, you know. Well, you know, everybody talks about that. Like kind of wimpy. Everybody. (laughs) know. Thank you for your call, Jennifer. You raise an interesting point. You know, everybody talks about that, how Obama had four months where he had all three branches of government and didn't do this. But, you know, I think you have to be conscious of the fact that people come into office with only so much political capital. It's like your household budget. You know, you have places where you need to spend your budget and then you have places that you have discretionary expenses. And I I just have to believe that... Um, you know that the Obama administration, thinking um, thinking that uh, Roe was protected, having um, 
having, uh, you know, been there for 50 years worth of precedent and not having an indication that RBG was not going to resign but would die instead. And, you know, there were a number of things that were just... Um, you know, uh, unexpected and had to do health care. But right now, I have to um, end the show because we are out of time. And I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Rachel, a local physician and abortion provider, and Kelly from the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund. Thank you, Attorney Gretchen Cothran, for being with us and helping us understand where we go from here after Roe has been overturned and we lost the constitutional right to abortion. Uh, Please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss up next. We are WMNF Tampa. Washington. I'm Corva Coleman. The Washington Post and the New York Times are reporting the Justice Department is examining the actions of former President Donald Trump in connection to the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last year. NPR has